Oh, Saturday night. Here we go. George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic. I hope they. I hope George plays this one. A little quickie. I love a little quickie. Who doesn't love a little quickie? Mm. Especially when it comes to food. I'm talking about food, Nub Chuck. That's what I'm talking about here. All right. Our next guest knows a thing or two about food and George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, Brides of Funkenstein, you name it. He is Scott Spritzer. What is going on, my man? Put a little grub in that concert. We've got a perfect combination. Yeah, right? <laughs> George Clinton and food. There you go. <laughs> hey, man, I'm telling you, Scott, I don't know when, uh, if you've been to the Westgate uh, recently. Well, I've been following some of my food posts, but very good food at the Westgate. Very good food. So think about that there, you know, Saturday night. I've been to the book recently, but we used to go to Benihana's quite a bit. So yeah, yeah I mean, there you go. There you go. There you go. I'm making a. I've never been to Benihana's, but uh, I'm I'm being forced. Well, I shouldn't say forced. That's not right. Uh, my daughter's birthday is coming up, and uh, that, that's like her favorite. Uh, hadn't been so. Yeah, I'll, I'll be. Uh, I'll be diving into that here in a few weeks. So, so she's a sushi person, and you're not. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you guys get along so well, <laughs> so well. See, there's some class of that family. Thank I mean, you. You, and, you know, yeah, I knew that was coming. That's it. Good thing there was no, uh, you know, you know, drum there from Nunchuck on that one. Thank yeah, you. Very you much. could always have them just throw a steak on the uh, on the on the on the grill, and you'll be just fine. You know, that's steak, what my daughter said. Veggies, she said know. the exact same thing. Dad, you know, you can get a steak there, and I go, really? Okay, well, yeah. That's- Chop it up for you on the grill, and and you could sit there and eat your steak and whatever vegetable of your choice, and she could pig out like I do on sushi and sashimi all night. <laughs> well, you're the king of sushi and sashimi. I mean, you are the king. There's no, there's no. I don't think anybody eats more of that than you do. But uh, hey, you know, I'm about ready to have my mercury levels tested. By the way, so there you go. <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right, so we got NFL playoffs. Wild card weekend is here. Super wild card weekend, whatever you want to call it. All I know, this is, Scott, that we've got twelve teams. We've got six games, uh, three days. All right, so we got two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and then the Sunday, uh, the Monday night standalone game. Are you a fan of the of this Monday night football, especially once we get into the playoffs here? I mean, I got a feeling that the winner of this game may be at some sort of a little bit of a disadvantage uh, for the next round. Yeah, they might be at a disadvantage, but I love it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> as, yep. as both a better and just a fan. You know, I, I love having the three days split up like that in a Monday night football game in the wild card round. So, you know, as a player, it might kind of stink, you know, when you got to move on and, and you don't have an extra day of rest or whatever. But uh, as far as just the fan standpoint, I love it. You know, I, I don't mind if they play four days a week. I mean, I'm all for it. Let's throw a Friday night game in there, too, in the mix next year. Right. But, um, but yeah, no, it doesn't bother me at all. And, again, as far as handicapping is concerned, there hasn't been enough of it to get a real gauge off of what happens in the second week of the playoffs to a team that played on Monday night. So every one of these games is a rematch. And it's I've never, ever re- recall this ever happening. Probably hasn't. Uh, you may know that uh, better than me, though. But, you know, we've got divisional opponents that are squaring off. So this will be the third time. And you have that, in effect, with Seattle and San Francisco, Miami and Buffalo, and Baltimore and Cincinnati. And then even, you know, the other games, it's, it's, it's rematch city with Dallas, Tampa Bay and Jacksonville and, um, the Chargers and the Giants and, and the Vikings. So does that easier to handicap? Do, how much emphasis do you look into those past matchups when now these guys are playing for, you know, the most important game of the year? For me, it kind of depends on when they played each other. You know, if it was like in September, like with the Chargers, 
and Jaguars played. It doesn't mean as much as, let's say, the Giants and the Vikings who played on Christmas Eve. So kind of depends on what part of the season the teams played each other. You know, if one team was is playing much, much better football over the last four weeks as opposed to maybe the first four or five weeks when they might have met their opponent and vice versa, a team that's playing badly now compared to what they were playing early in the season if they met then. So it, it does. It depends on the, the portion of the season, how a team is playing now compared to then. If you have the same quarterback playing now in a matchup that you had in the early season matchup, if an injury has taken its toll on a team when it comes to a key player like a quarterback or a wide receiver, all that goes into the mix. But, you know, there wasn't – I mean, there was one thing you could glean and we could talk about it in a bit from that early season Chargers-Jaguars matchup and really – only one thing, maybe one and a half things, and that's because the Chargers have been bad on run defense all season long. So maybe you can kind of throw that into the mix from that September game when you're doing your handicapping. But as far as everything else, man, it's like it's all about how they've done if they played recently more than anything else. The crazy thing about, I think, this year's wild card is there's so many quarterbacking question marks in every freaking game almost. I mean, maybe not Seattle, San Francisco, Chargers, or the Jags, but you know, you got the situation with Miami where the top two quarterbacks are out. Skylar Thompson's going to play. You know, you've got Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, who's missed a bunch of time this year, hasn't practiced uh, this entire season. I mean, excuse me, this entire week. So, so many quarterback situations that come into the mix here. And listen, nothing against Geno Smith, but we're used to seeing like Aaron Rodgers in this part of the postseason. Not Geno Smith, who couldn't find a starting job until this year. You know, and it's basically because they had nobody else to fit in that spot when Russell Wilson left for Denver. So, so many question marks that we don't normally have in the opening week of the playoffs. All right, let's uh, handicap these things and let's go game by game, Scott. Let's start off with Saturday afternoon, one thirty. It is an NFC matchup again for the third time, San Francisco and Seattle. The Niners won both of the previous meetings here. And is Geno Smith and Brock Purdy I know that this line is 10. I don't know if there's a lot of people that are going to be biting on, on Seattle here. Again, Seattle, they were clinging, you know, to life to get into this thing. Um, you know, doinking a field goal at the end of regulation. They beat the Rams, you know, by three, getting the field goal in overtime here. It's been a Seattle team, as we know, that's really kind of overachieved to a certain degree. And Geno Smith is, is played pretty well. Uh, when you look at this game, is it San Francisco or nothing for you, or can you make a case for Seattle? Yeah, the number's not too far off of what it was when these teams met in San Francisco earlier this season. It was eight and a half. Now it's basically nine and a half with a couple of tens still out there. And of course, there's that you know home wild card double digit favorite thingy that you know says these home teams are on a nine and zero spread run when they're favored by doubles at home in the wild card round. And again, San Francisco and some shops are still laying ten. Uh, the, the thing that keeps me off of this game, and I lean towards San Francisco, I also kind of lean towards uh, the over, which is sitting at 42. But the thing that I was concerned about the most is Brock Purdy, who, you know, they always say when you first jump into the league, you got preseason football, which is quicker for the quarterback to have to deal with than what he dealt with in college, no matter what level he played in college, whether it be for the Alabama or Georgia or FCS, it's quicker in preseason NFL. Then they say the regular season's quicker than the preseason, and then the postseason is another story, a whole different level than what they've seen in preseason or NFL that rookie year, if they're lucky enough uh, to get into postseason play. And so I'm interested to seeing how Brock Purdy reacts to an even quicker game. You know, Seattle's defense maybe not the greatest, but they're going to be playing at a faster pace than they were, and we know what Purdy wants to do. 
a rare shot deep downfield with a whole lot of screens to guys like Kittle, to passes out of the backfield, maybe Debo Samuel cutting across the middle, things like that. That's what he wants to do. And Seattle has seen it already once out of Brock Purdy. And if they get a chance to, you know, go up against him here with a guy like Pete Carroll and his staff, maybe they have enough of know-how to be able to make Purdy adjust on the fly in this game and do things he's not used to. I just don't think Seattle has the firepower. I give a ton of credit to Geno Smith. I wasn't a Geno Smith fan before this season. In the first half of the year, he was really playing well, and, and his team was too. I had Seattle, like a lot of people, TC, before the season as one of the bottom six teams in the NFL, six to eight teams. So, you know, that first few weeks of the season, they surprised a lot of people. If you made me play this game, I would take the Niners. I think their defensive strengths at another notch with the speed factor is going to be too much for Geno and Seattle to hang around eventually. But again, man, having a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy starting his first playoff game is enough to keep me from laying those points. You know, it's funny you say that because I love this 49er team and I love all aspects. I love what they do offensively. I love the defense. I love the way, you know, they move Debo Samuel around and Kittle and these guys. I mean, it's amazing. But like you, I'm just thinking, okay, there's got to be a point in time when Brock Purdy, I don't want to say he explodes here or you know, implodes, you know, but I, this is really a good situation for Purdy, isn't it? Like you said, I mean, he hasn't been a starter the entire season, but now he's going to his first playoff game, so obviously there's got to be jitters. He has the advantage of playing at home, and he has the advantage of playing a very familiar opponent that he has faced. So I'm thinking that, okay, this is probably not going to be the week where you have that possibility of Purdy imploding because he knows the Seattle defense, and let's be honest, and I think you said it yourself, I mean, the Seattle defense really is not that good. So I think... You know, if you're, if you like the Niners here, you can probably get away with laying the double digits, but maybe as they move on, then you have to worry a little bit more about Purdy. At least that's my yeah. train of thought here. And the good thing for Purdy is, is that you can run all day on the Seattle defense. Yeah. And so he can hand the ball off. He's got a couple of different running backs, obviously. You've got, you know, McCaffrey that you can hang the ball, hand the ball off to plenty of times, 15, 17 times. You got, you know, Elijah Mitchell. And I, I, I saw one, um, right up on this, and I thought it was pretty good. It's not my own original play, but it was listed uh, that, uh, and this was as of this morning. I don't know if it's changed, but there was a prop on Christian McCaffrey over under rushing yards of 73.5, and and it was basically around even money. And the person who wrote this up mentioned that Elijah Mitchell, when he's been on the field or been able to play along with McCaffrey, McCaffrey's numbers go way down rushing yards. Uh, and, and I think that's a good situation if you want to play this prop under 73 and a half because McCaffrey's last four rushing yardage totals with Mitchell on the field were all 45 yards or less rushing. They don't have to rely on him as much carrying the football when Mitchell is healthy, which he is. So I thought that was a really good prop. Yeah. And I saw the write up earlier today. And I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea because San Francisco can still win this game if you think they're going to win it by a, mar- by a big margin. They're going to win this game by 17, 21 points, and McCaffrey only runs the ball for 40 yards. So not a bad prop there. There it is. And we know McCaffrey will be busy out of the backfield, and that prop is only rushing yards as well, too. So uh, let's go to the, the nightcap, Scott. Chargers and Jacksonville. And this is a game that we've actually seen significant line movement. Uh, Jacksonville actually opened the favorite here, and now it's Chargers up to two and in some places even two and a half and maybe even gets to three. 
Let me ask you, do you think that we've seen this line movement within the last 24 to 36 hours because there's reports out there that Trevor Lawrence has his toe injury because he's on the injury report now? Or is maybe revenge factor playing into this? Because let's remember, Jacksonville blasted the Chargers 38 to 10, even though that game was really close uh, until the end of the third quarter. And that's when Jacksonville kind of, uh, you know, uh, turned around. And like you mentioned, you know, that was a long time ago as well. Why do you think we've seen the line move here? Yeah, it might have a little bit to do with, with obviously with Trevor Lawrence. If he is able to go in this game and he has been limited in practice, but that goes back several weeks that he's been limited in practice and he has yet to miss any playing time, you know, with that toe injury. So I know they're listing him as, you know, having this problem with the toe. But again, and that just came out one in the last couple of hours, I believe. Uh, but again, it's, you know, we've known for at least three or four games that he's been playing on a, you know, kind of a bad toe, and yet he's still been able to play. So for that reason, I'm going to say that he still is able to go. He still is, is able to be effective. But I'm also going to mention that people might want to wait on this play just to see if it's really that bad or not. Uh, the total hasn't moved at all, basically. It's been 47 and a half, and it never really moved with the news that came out that, you know, oh boy, he's questionable. It even went up to 47 and a half a couple of days ago, and it's never moved. If he's able to play, and again, you can wait on this. It's not going to go crazy. If it gets to 48, then you know he's probably going to play, and you might want to jump on it. I like the over more than anything else if he's fine. Uh, if you remember back, way back in September, Jacksonville hung 38 points on the Chargers. I don't know if they'll get 38, but I expect them to score a decent amount of points again. And the only thing that I really think will change much in this meeting is that the Chargers' output will be better after scoring just 10 points in that loss. And the Chargers want to pass. Herbert threw for nearly 300 yards in that first meeting despite only scoring 10 points. They're third in the NFL in passing yards per game. The Jags are 28th in passing yards allowed. On the flip side, the Jags want to run the football. They ran for 151 yards in the first meeting, James Robinson gained 100 yards on 5.9 per carry. Then you got Travis Etienne Jr. He's run for over 1,100 yards, 5 yards per carry. And the Chargers have allowed the fourth most rushing yards per game in the league on a league high 5.4 yards per carry. If you look at the Chargers' last two games, in fact, 17 and eight, week 17 and 18, the featured backs they faced were Cam Akers and Latavius Murray. Those two combined for 226 yards on almost seven yards per carry. So the point is that both defenses are bad in the areas where the two offenses excel or exploit the most. Then you factor in a little angle here, TC, that I'm going to throw at you. Trevor Lawrence is hitting 66.3% of his passes this year. The Chargers, I went back in the last 26 times that they faced an offense that completes at least 64% of its passes on the season. They've given up 28 points per game the last 26 times on average. So if Trevor is healthy, and again, folks can wait on this, although again, if it gets to 48, I would hammer before it goes up anymore. I think the game goes over the total weather permitting. All I've seen about the weather so far is that it's going to be colder than normal in Jacksonville, but by the time this game kicks off, the winds will be minimal, no precipitation, and I really think over 47.5 is the way to go. All right, a good point. Uh, Scott Spreitzer, Doc Sports. You go to DocSports.com and uh, subscribe to Scott's uh, plays there. All right, let's talk about Sunday. we got three games. It starts with Miami and Buffalo, and of course, uh, the Bills, this line just keeps going up and up and up. Obviously, no Tua, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 
you know, uh, questionable uh, in this game as well, too. And then, uh, you know, definitely looks like we're going to get uh, uh, Skylar Thompson here. So Buffalo, the number now, Scott, is 13, keeps rising and rising. Does anyone want any part of Miami? I, I'm not going to play this game. I decided to pass. And, you know, again, I mentioned how good the home teams have done in the wild card round uh, when favored by double digits. But there's no way I'm taking Skylar Thompson. I mean, if you've seen what he did, you know, 4.9 yards per pass attempt, you know, in the big win over the Jets, things like that. Um, it's a situation where I cannot back him as a dog. At the same time, I just don't feel like Lane having to win basically by more than two touchdowns, you know, with where this line sits right now. And I know the Bills scored 32 when they played Miami a few weeks ago. I know they've scored 35 in the last two games. Um, and the offense is incredible at times. I just don't want to lay that big of a price. At the same time, there is no way, and I'll keep it simple, no way I'm backing Skylar Thompson. Yeah. One touchdown, three picks in the short. Put it this way. He's no Brock Purdy right now in his rookie season, <laughs> and uh, it was enough for me to stay off of it. I think the books have priced it enough now to where I just can't jump on Buffalo. I see one book. I'm looking at about 25 on my line service, and I see one book that's back up to 14 mm. and reporting 86% of the tickets on the bills. I can't argue with the public plunking their money down on Buffalo. I just don't want to do it myself. All right. Uh, maybe a little teaser, Scott, but Buffalo down? No. No? I, don't, I, I mean, you could, but I'm all about, you know, the math says you tease down to one. You right, know, right, You tease six right. and a half and seven down. You don't tease. I mean, generally speaking, it doesn't mean it's going to happen here. If you're talking about a 13-point spread, the team's either going to blow out the team or they're not. You know, so it totally destroys the math on, on teasing. Again, it doesn't mean they can't win by – eight points here or 10 points here and you catch that teaser, but I'm just going on, you know, the history of betting teasers in the NFL. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, you can't get, if you find a 13, you can get it underneath the touchdown, you know, possibly uh, to look at that. And we know a lot of people will be doing that. Uh, Giants and, and Vikings, Scott, for me, this is the, the toughest game to handicap uh, because of both teams' inconsistencies, uh, the quarterback situation as well. Minnesota is three at home. So basically we're saying, hey, this is kind of a coin flip game. Uh, what are you thinking about this game? Are you going to get involved in it? Yeah, I like the total here again, and I'll tell you what. I was, I was set to, to play the Giants. And the problem is, is that you know these teams just played on Christmas Eve. At Minnesota, the Vikings were a four-and-a-half-point favorite. The total was 48, by the way, but they were a four-and-a-half-point favorite just three weeks ago, and now it's three. You know, there's no value on the Giants at three. doesn't mean they can't win this game. But again, as a better over the course of time, why do I want to give away a point-and-a-half in just a three-week period of time? And that's what you're doing if you back the Giants here. Again, they could cover the spread. They could win. But you're killing yourself long-term if you look at lines like that, play point spreads more than you do teams. Uh, we saw this game, and what I like here, TC, a little bit more because of that point spread adjustment is under 48 and a half. And we saw a game that was a dead under through three quarters when these teams met three weeks ago. There were 23 points combined through three quarters, and with just over three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, there were 33 points on the board. <laughs> All of a sudden, there's a fluky 18 points scored in three minutes, and the game shoots over the total. The Giants want to operate the controlled running game. The Vikings want to move through the air, but the Vikings defense is better against the run, and the Giants are better against the pass than they are against the run. So the, the two teams' defenses are better against what their opponents' offenses want to do in this game. Uh, the Giants like play action, but the Vikings saw it three weeks ago, so they can shore up some of those defensive play action issues when they prepare for this game. 
So it, I don't know. It's just that you know neither one of these offenses excelled in the first meeting. It was lucky. If you had the over, you lucked out. Um, but the Giants have scored 18.6 points per game the last 36 times they faced a defense that allows at least 61% passing. That sounds counterintuitive, but it's as though they see a weak pass defense and they think we're going to throw the ball, and they end up throwing the ball more than they should, and it takes them away from their offensive strength, and they don't score as many points as you would normally see this team score. Uh, they're also on a 27-12 and 12 under run with an average of 40 points combined per game as a dog over the past three seasons. So for all those reasons, I think under 48 and a half is the best way to go in this game. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense unless you, you get one of these fluky you know, turnover things that, that happened like in the, the first time around, like you right. said. But it makes sense. All right, Baltimore-Cincinnati, another quarterback situation like you talked about earlier that you have with Baltimore. Definitely no uh, Lamar Jackson. Tyler Huntley did practice a little bit today. He's had the tendonitis in the shoulder but, uh, it, you know, more than likely, we don't know what you're going to get with him or not. And even if he's there, it doesn't matter. Anybody who's, who's not named Lamar Jackson, uh, the Baltimore's not going to score. They're averaging 13 points per contest. And then you got Cincinnati, as we know, has been playing some very good footballs of late. Six and a half, seven, that's the number here. It's actually nine and a half and ten. <laughs> well, now you're right. Uh, today you're right. You are you are right, my friend. You. And I was going to say if it was six and a half or seven TC. I mean, just part yeah. of the analysis here is yeah. I would I would probably take that small shot with Cincy, and I still might add them, uh, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, and um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I want to see. You know, I got a couple of plays before that game between Saturday and Sunday, and if I'm sitting well, I, I might jump on Cincy as a small play. If I have a bad couple of the first games, then I might just pass it. Um, not a Ravens offensive fan, especially with Lamar's sideline. We've seen him struggle. Huntley knows the offense. There's no doubt about it, but he j- he's just not Lamar. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate having to lay this many points against John Harbaugh. You know, it just feels like you're just stepping into it a little bit. But it's Cincinnati or nothing. I'll just make it quick. Yeah. Um, I might add Cincy by the time that game kicks off, but as of now, I've passed. Right. And again, obviously, I was talking about the opening line there and nothing but one way, uh, action. Like I said, nine and a half and, and, and on the way to 10 for this game. All right. And then Monday night, Scott, here we go again. You got Dallas and Tampa Bay, two, t- two teams that I think are pretty psycho. You don't know what you're going to get. And <laughs> uh, from the coaching sidelines, just uh, abysmal as well, too. Uh, I don't know. It could be the, the final game of one of the, of the loser, you know, here, uh, their head coaches. Uh, and then again, it could be the final game. Tom Brady, uh, Dallas is a, is a road favorite in this game, uh, barely two and a half, three point favorite. How do you see this game? Yeah, I'm not a Todd Bowles fan. I think he's flown under the radar as far as bad coaching throughout the course of this season. They blame Brady. They blame the receivers. They blame the offense and Bowles sits there flying under the radar. Uh, but he's not giving away anything to the other sideline of Mike McCarthy, who's basically a cheerleader as the head coach of the Cowboys. Yeah. So it's an even coaching match, you know, because neither one is that great. Uh, listen, you got to have time to pass the football when you face the Dallas Cowboys in their pass rush. And we've seen Tampa Bay give Brady time to go through his progressions over the past few games. And he and his receivers are finding common ground and they're not dropping passes. That Cowboys defense is built on speed and their pass rush is not nearly as effective on grass as it is on, as it is on artificial turf. Ed Werder threw this together, and I'm going to repeat it because I think it's definitely worth repeating. Dallas is one and four straight up on grass, eight takeaways, 12 sacks. On the artificial stuff, 25 takeaways, 42 sacks, 11 and one. They average 2.4 sacks per game on grass, 
three and a half sacks per game on turf. Their blitz percentage, though, is 35% on grass because they have to blitz more, as opposed to 25% on artificial turf. And then Micah Parsons, the sack master, one and a half sacks in five games on grass. He averages one per game on artificial turf through 12 games. So you get the uh, picture. I think Brady will have time to go through his progressions. And finally, icing on the cake. I don't base anything on trends and angles, but home dogs of the wild card round are 30 and 16 the last 46 times against the spread. Again, I don't play trends and angles just because they sound juicy. It's a nice little icing on the cake. I think the Buccaneers pull the minor upset over Dallas. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, it, it's just hard for me to pull the trigger with Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott at the helm. No no, thank oh, you. Yeah. No thank you. All right, uh, Scott, appreciate it as always. Uh, great stuff. Good luck to you over the course of the weekend. Go to DocSports.com. Real simple, DocSports.com. And uh, check out Scott's uh, uh, plays there. And uh, we continue... Uh, to have him be part of the best bets. We appreciate that as always, my friend. And he can always guarantee you'll get some good food pictures from Scott as well, too. No, <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt. Brother, I appreciate you, man. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. Thanks. You got it. There he is. Scott Spritzer.